Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you know who Tim Williams is, you are sorely disappointed about this point because I'm not Tim Williams, and, uh, and I didn't do anything with the body. Uh, so I, my name is Darren Griffiths. You won't find that in your uh, worship bulletin today, but I'm the vice president of family counseling uh, with Stitch Ministries. And uh, Tim, I don't know the details, but he called me Friday afternoon late and said there was a family emergency and he had to get to Houston. And uh, he asked if I would fill in for him. And so y'all missed it by this much having a real preacher today, right? <laughs> so we're all going to be in tears uh, for, the, for the next hour. Um, this is one of the things that, about my job that I love to do. I've been in counseling for uh, about 14 years. And uh, uh, we have, uh, with Stitch Ministries, we have 16 locations. Guess which one uh, in this town is a location, this church. And uh, y'all's church, kind of an interesting uh, Maybe something you don't know, uh, trivia-wise, this church was, one, was the first church that allowed us to come in with our experimentation of developing satellite locations. And so we have two major, we had two major offices, clinical settings, one in Corpus and one in Victoria, and uh, we see 6,000 clients a year uh, at the time. And so we wanted to expand our ministry. And we thought, well, we'll go into more rural locations outside of Corpus and Victoria and came and talked to your pastor. And, and uh, he vetted me pretty hard because he knew a lot about counseling and he knew what he didn't want in counseling. And kind of a cool thing is the things that I don't want in counseling is the same, same things that he doesn't want in counseling. So we hit it off pretty well. And uh, so... Today we have uh, Kelly Harris that comes to this church, and she's a real good counselor, uh, one of our better ones, uh, I would say. And she hits the road two times a week to come here in another location, another day out of the week, uh, and then our corpus office. But to date, we have 16 locations because of our experiment here uh, went well, and we're now in Houston and San Antonio and around Victoria and a couple of different places in corpus. You can go to our website if you have a, a sleepless night, and you can peruse through there and, and uh, look at all of our locations, but it's a great thing to be able to work with people. I'm a licensed, ordained Baptist minister, so you can put yourself at ease of why, who this person is standing up here with that, uh, if that means anything, and, um, uh, but it's a cool thing to blend uh, counseling with theology, and, when, and, and I'm called to this. It's not, it's not a job. And so I really wrestled with God early on. How do, you, how do you take the weirdness of psychology and put it into the coolness of theology? And so all of our counselors do just that. All of our counselors are trained to, to do that. So today uh, we're going to talk about relationships because that's, that's what I love to do for a living. I love to talk to people about their relationships, about their life. And, and one thing that I know is if our relationships here on, on earth are going to be good, we have to go back to getting that relationship between us and God to be good or to be excellent. 
And so that will dictate how our relationships here on earth go. But one thing I know about relationships is they're messy, right? Relationships just don't go well all the time. And if that, that, that's if you're a parent, that's if you're a coworker, if you're uh, a spouse, a grandparent. Uh, relationships just don't go all right all the time. And, and one, one strange thing about relationships is we have to work on them all the time. So case in point, uh, if, if you're, we don't typically worry about our air conditioner until when? Until it's broken, right? We go to the button and push it and it's hot or it's too cold. Uh, in our car, we typically don't really worry about our car until when? The little orange light comes on the dash and then we start making phone calls. Um, we, we don't worry about those things. Our health, how, how many of you have been sick and didn't realize how sick you were until you got well and you looked back and thought, wow, I was really, really feeling bad. We don't typically notice our health until something goes awry there. But with relationships, I would almost be willing to guarantee that all of us this morning have already been faced with the relational or relationship dynamic, whether it's a conflict or whether it's a feel-good, joy part of the relationship. Uh, there's people that you had to negotiate the hallway with this morning. Oh, I don't want to see them or they're going to take too much of my time or even the seating in the church. Let's go over here and make sure we sit over there. Or there's people on the other side that you... you almost tripped over yourself to get to because it's a joy to see them. And, and we all have these bank accounts, emotional bank accounts that, that we have for one another. And so we all had to deal with relationship issues uh, today already. So um, we struggle with that, though. And I'm going to help you out uh, to some degree. So I'm going to have you turn your attention to the screens one more time. And I've got a short video I want you to show. I messed up. So I told her, you got a mirror, you can see what you look like in those jeans. So anyway, I don't know what to do. You just talk to her. And tell her what? You tell her how you feel. I did. I told her, I feel like you look like your mother. Okay, no, you, you need to use your words. You know, romantic words. Oh. Wait, what? Okay, um, honey, uh, you, you take your wife by her hands and you just pour into her. Wait, 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 wait. Am I holding her hands or am I pouring something? I, I can't do both. What? No. Todd. You are going to pour words into your wife. You look her in the eyes, dead set, and you just let go. Because that's what she does to you, Todd. She makes you let go. And you say to her, you mean everything to me. And I would let go of everything if it means that I just get to hold you for the rest of my life. And that's what you do. What are you doing? I'm calling my wife, and you are gonna tell me some pretty words to say to her. We are not doing this. Hey babe, 
No, 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 don't hang up, don't hang up. Um, I was an idiot, and I know, you said some things too, you shouldn't have, you don't say that. I'm, that's not what I meant, I meant I have some things to say to you, right now. No. While we're on the phone. Stop it. Just listen. She said I have two minutes. What do I say, what do I say? I'm sorry. For what? No, you tell her that. I'm sorry. Babe? She's still there, I can hear her breathing. Tell her I love you and you mean everything to me and I am a fool because I don't tell you that more often. Um, I'm a fool for loving you and I should say that stuff more often. You were the only reason I am half the man I am. Your love and constant support is my daily breath. I'm half the man I am because of you, and your love is a constraint. Constant support. No, I'm so, oh, no, your love is constantly on my breath, daily. daily. You are the greatest blessing God has ever given me and you are perfect for me. Babe, you're the, you're the best thing God ever did for me. You're perfect. For me, you're perfect. You're, you're not perfect. What are you doing? Just tell me what to say. Sunsets are more beautiful when you are on the horizon. Um, you're more beautiful at sunset on the horizon. It totally worked. Babe, I'm gone in 60 seconds. What a moron. You are great. I know, right? The words you said, I, I heard. I had no idea. Seriously? You had no idea that some women fall for that stuff? <laughs> I'm just glad you're not that gullible. By the way, what's for dinner? I've messed up. Use your words, my friend. Use those words. So, guys, guys may need a little more help in the relationship department, right? We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 today, and this, these, are, these are interesting, this is an interesting set of scripture, and, and, and that's what I love to do. I love to look at scripture and apply it to what I've seen in, in the counseling room or what I've seen in people's lives or their reports of what they've experienced. And, and even in my own, there's a lot of curiosities uh, about things I deal with. So, uh, so I take scripture and, and try to dig in to find those, those gold nuggets of information in there that could be helpful. So First Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And we're going to spend some time uh, on that, uh, the later part of this. But it, it says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves... 
to your own husbands. Now, that's not a good way to start, right? Sunday morning with wives submitting to their husbands. You wish you'd had Tim here by now. So wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of, of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that, uh, that of your inner self and unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Verse 5, for, if, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. In verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There, there's a couple of things, you know, with, with Scripture, there, there's a lot of misinterpretations that we get. And I, I just heard a radio broadcast this week of, uh, you know, some misinterpretation of Scripture. And so the broadcaster threw out some things and had people call in and ask, you know, is this from the Bible? And so one of the things he put out there is cleanliness is next to godliness. Is, is, where do you find that in Scripture? And there were some people that called in and said, yes, that is in Scripture. Well, it's not in Scripture. That You won't find those words uh, in, in, in Scripture. And so I found with with life and experiences and relationship, there's a lot of things that we tend to try to believe or we get hooked into a set of beliefs and it's not really realistic and it's not legitimate and it doesn't line up even with this, the, the principles of Scripture. So I've got a few myths here and these are things that I've seen with relationships uh, that, uh, that, that I work with. Uh, you'll be able to change your partner's annoying habits, right? So if you... Who believes you can change your partner's annoying habits? We try, though, right? So that's a myth. And, and expecting to be able to change your partner's annoying habits is going to be riddled with manipulation. You have to manipulate people in order to get them to change. And oftentimes, manipulation is not a good thing. It's a very selfish thing. And, and so I've been married 26 years. Uh, uh, well, actually, 27. We just celebrated 27 last week. So my, my football on that. 27 years, and, and there's a lot of things that aren't going to change. This is some things, this is one thing that's very important that I tell people uh, within their relationship. There's a lot of things, and I'm going to get to a percentage here in a minute. I'm going to dial it in pretty tight. But, but w one thing that, that we've dealt with is my wife is a door lever open type of person, right? So we go into the kitchen, and there's typically always one cabinet door that's open. And, and so over the years, she doesn't leave it as wide open as she used to because I used to get pretty animate about shutting the doors. Now she leaves it about that far open because uh, she just doesn't want to close it. Her drawers, you know, she doesn't close the drawer all the way. And I'm a person that likes, who likes doors closed in here? You like that? Okay. All right. Y'all are on my team. And you got to make sure everything nice in the drawers. I go through the kitchen. I make sure all the drawer fronts match up, you know, a little OCD with that. And that's not going to change. 27 years, it's not going to change. So on our 50th wedding anniversary, and we'll have that, that will not be an expectation that I have that she's going to close doors and drawers. 
Give it up. It's not going to happen. Why waste an ounce of my life trying to manipulate her to change something? So I'm not going to be able to change her annoying habits. And, and if she were here, she would have this long laundry list that would be as long as this aisle of things that I do that annoy her. And, and those things aren't going to change. I'll make sure of that. Myth two, you automatically know each other's thoughts. He finishes my sentences, right? That's not fair. And it's not realistic in a relationship. And, determine, and try to measure or determine the depth of love or value in a relationship by knowing the other person's thoughts is mostly not okay. Now, I say mostly because here's something I do with couples is I'll often ask the husband, you know, because guys struggle with this. You know, how, how do I show her that I love her? Kind of like that right there. And, and so I'll give them two simple things. When, when you're standing at the checkout counter at HEB or Walgreens or CVS or wherever you're at, and you look at all the candy that they have there, which one would she want? Does she like peanut M&Ms or plain M&Ms? You should know that. And if you don't know that, find out. All right? There's a couple that, that my wife and I have frequented. They're, they're in their, their mid-80s now. All right? And we've known them since the, about a year before we got married. And they actually, little known secret, they actually saved our relationship. About three years after we got married, we thought it was over. And, and I was in ministry. I was on staff of a church. And you know what that means. If your relationship with your spouse is over, you're going to lose your ministry and all that kind of stuff. So we had to really work on this thing because this wasn't just, it, it wasn't a marriage only. It was a calling of God that was being tampered with. And so we fought hard. But this older couple that we used as mentors, uh, they're the ones that showed us that you constantly need to be learning about the other person. Not that I can read the other person's thoughts, but I need to be a studier of my spouse. And so if you drive up to Sonic and you're going to push the red button, if your spouse is not with you, what do you order for them? You need to know that. And so uh, you automatically know their thoughts, not necessarily, but you should be a studier of that person. Myth number three, you'll never argue. That's a myth. You need to have some good arguments. And I've even prescribed that to some people. How, how, long, how often do y'all argue? And what scares me is, are the couples that say, well, we never really argue. All right? Now, I'm going to preface this with something. There are couples that would say we never really argue, but if you hang out with them long enough, they do argue. They've just perfected the art, right? So they, they don't, you can't open up the dictionary and find the definition of what argument is and see that they're doing that. What they've done is they've learned to argue very well. So they will tell you we don't argue, but they do. You need to have some good arguments. You need to be able to tell the other person where you stand and who you are and what you like and what you don't like. That's how we learn about each other. So, so thinking that you're not going to argue in a relationship and also thinking that arguments are bad. That's, that's, not, that's not the way to, to go either. Uh, number four, kids will make you grow stronger. Right? Here, here's the truth. Kids will show you your weaknesses. Right? Kids will make you face you. That's a good parent. A good parent is the one that sees their flaws through how they interact with their kids and makes adjustments to that. That's it. Uh, parents that don't see their flaws, that don't want to look at themselves and their weaknesses and face that, those are typically not good parents. 
So you can use that as a measuring stick. Here's some relationship truths. We're going to go back the other way. Submitting does not mean giving in. Submitting actually means filling up or undergirding. And so wives, when that scripture says, and also be submissive to your husbands or submit to your husbands. And there's a few other scriptures in the Bible that you can, you can look at. And even one of them that's really important that we often overlook, it says submit one to another. So the most healthy relationships are the most balanced relationships where there's reciprocity, there's give and take. But here's a picture that, that I give wives about submitting. Submitting in our, our terms, in our language, our, our world has given it a very, very bad connotation. And, and that's not what we need. That's not what Scripture is all about. Submitting is a very, very valuable, important thing. So we're, we're in South Texas, and, and we, we've all probably have seen a, a sailboat. Uh, I don't know how that works. I'm not a, a sailboat kind of a person, but somehow you can fill the sails full of wind and the boat can kind of go where the, the person wants it to go, no matter which way the wind is blowing. And so, wives, if your husband's a sailboat and sails are fully uh, erect on the mast and, and, and the wind is blowing that wind is the submission act. That wind is the driving force. That wind is the propulsion. If there's no wind, how good is the sail of a sailboat? It's not any good at all. It needs a driving force. Now, submitting is fulfilling. Submitting is not necessarily directing, but there is some parts of that. The wind doesn't dictate where the sailboat goes. It dictates that it goes, right? So submitting, submission is a very, very important factor in a marital relationship or any kind of a relationship, even with an employer, being able to submit, being able to fit into the place that is so important for you to fit into causes the whole thing to respond appropriately and, and create balance. And so sometimes there's a difficulty in that balance to be created. If you're taking any kind of notes, I'll give you some free information. There's a great book. If you've been to any of our counselors, you probably have heard of this. It's called Boundaries. Henry Cloud and John Townsend write this book. So how do I know if I'm being too submissive? Or how do I know if I'm not being submissive enough? What's too much? What's not enough? And boundaries, we have to have good boundaries. And boundaries is all about who God is. God wants us to be boundaried people. Uh, we're free within limits that God sets, right? And we have that in our relationships. Truth number two, conflict does not make us weaker. We need to have some conflict in relationships. Conflict actually is the thing that helps us to grow. And so now if we put selfishness into conflict, that's when the wheels fall off. So, you know, people ask me, what, what is the leading cause of trouble that people come to counseling sessions for? And, and we often hear that it's money, okay? Uh, and I disagree with that. I've disagreed with that for years. Now, it's a big proponent. It, it's up there. But selfishness, I think, is the, is the foundational root of reason or cause that people would come into a counseling session is we all kind of want things our way. And, and we all want to see things done the way that we want it done or we're going to be unhappy about it. Truth number three, this is going to be where we dial it into some percentages. Almost 70% of things, the actual number is 69 point something, I rounded it to 70. Almost 70% of things that we argue about, 
are not solvable. Not solvable. That, that, there's, some, there's a lot of research around that. And when I tell couples that, or when I even tell myself that, that's one of those unsolvable things. That is so, it puts me in a, in a place where now I can exercise some forgiveness. Uh, it, it's not the other person just being mean. It's not uh, me just being mean. It's not uh, a, a, a deterioration of our relationship. It's one of those things that's not solvable. Shutting cabinet doors fully is not solvable, right? And, and it's not something that I need to spend a whole lot of time on because in the, in the course of the universe, and, and we all are, hopefully we are eternal thinking people, that cabinet door not being shut is not an eternal thing. That's one of those worldly things that can lead me into selfishness. See how that works? Which could lead our relationship into a corrupt place and weakens the relationship, which does what? That affects our kids, which does what? That affects their life, which affects their surroundings. And so one of the things that I truly believe about our counseling ministry is we, our goal is to hold people, have people get stronger or remain strong in their relationships so a church like this can feel the effects of strong relationships within the church, which then the ripple effect goes out into Rockport and the surrounding uh, areas through your work and through your rela other relationships and people can feel that strength. 70% of things that we have conflict over, we argue about, are not solvable things in relationships. It doesn't mean just ignore them. It means tag it. That's one of those unsolvable things. And maybe call it that. Maybe voice that. Truth number four, the healthiest relationships are the most balanced relationship. We need to have a self-correcting pattern in our relationship. It's honesty, trust, forgiveness, hard work, all of those things. And, and we expect that out of the other person, right? You expect that out of yourself. I need to expect those things out of me and then hold the other person accountable. Scripture talks about that. If your brother has faults, then you go and show him his faults. And that's not just about somebody in the church or the community. That can be your spouse. And you have to do that in a very loving, balanced, boundaried way. So the healthiest relationships are balanced relationships. So how do we avoid the messiness of relationships? That's what we really want to know. We know that relationships can get messy. They can get out of balance. But So how do we, how do we avoid uh, some of that? So let's go back to the scripture. Wives, submit to your husbands. This means to fuel him to a powerful place. Now, I'm a male counselor, right? So I have to, I have to be careful when I have a husband and wife in the room because I know the wife already feels outnumbered. I, I have to just expect that. And so don't see me as some male up here saying, wives, your husband is the powerful one in the relationship. No, that's out of balance. Both of you need to be powerful, but wives submitting to your husbands puts you in that stance of putting power and influence to your husband. And men, I'm going to get to us here in a minute. Uh, men are charged with being the spiritual leader of the household. Now, spiritual leader doesn't mean that you control all the finances. It doesn't mean that you control the parenting and all that kind of stuff. Spiritual leader means that you lay down your life for your, your spouse and your family. 
I need to empty myself. So if I empty myself, what needs to happen? If you take something away, you have to replace it with something as good or better. And so if I'm going to empty myself, if my spouse is fueling me to a place of power, guess what's happening? That is an incredible vortex of power that I think Scripture is pointing out here. It takes one to have one. And that's what we have to get, get through this. So wives, submit to your husband. That's, that's putting him in a very powerful place or fueling him to a powerful place. And also that said, a scripture doesn't talk about what you are. It, talks, it, it, it says not with the outward adornment, not that we would say lose that stuff. We want you to look nice, right? But scripture says not about that. It's about who you are on the inside to win the person over. Now let me test you on this. The things that we say are things that will be lost given time. The things that we do and who we are and, the th- and how we display that are things that generally are not lost over time. So let's all go back and let's, let's think of that, that person in our lives that was important. Okay? Uh, a, a parent, a grandparent, a, a, a teacher in school, a, a minister, our great friend a neighbor, that, that important person that you have in life, think about them. Now, do you remember exactly what all they said? Typically, we can remember a few ringing statements that they had, but not everything. Now, how about who they were? How about how they acted? How about their temperament? How about their personality? We remember detail by detail of those kinds of things. And that's what Scripture is talking about. You don't win somebody by your outward adornment. Those are short-lived. Look at us. We get worse over time, right? That's every time I look in the mirror, I'm getting a little bit fatter, a little bit grayer, and I can't see anymore. Uh, with some other guys uh, yesterday building a project with some deacons in our church and we were all talking about how old and decrepit we were and things that we couldn't do and who's going to get under there and put screws in and, and we, we get worse over time so we can't depend on that but how about, how about the spirit of who we are? Wives, this is what it's talking about. How about the spirit of who you are? It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. That stands truer over time. Verse 7 is where I want to spend a little bit of time. It says, live with the wives. Specifically, talking about forming a consistency. Husband, live with your wives. We need to be able to accommodate our life and our spouse's life. That's our job. That's a spiritual leader's job is to have enough openings where we can accommodate that. And if there's any, any inconsistency there, it's my job to try to uh, polish that. It's my job to try to, uh, to, to strengthen those things uh, and make her a vital part of, of the structure. And, and Scripture points out as the weaker partner, it actually says that. It's wives... Women, it says you're the weaker partner. Here's what that means. Only what that means. Guys may be able to, I I have some cows around my place and 50 pound bags is what their feed comes in. And I typically can put one on my shoulder. I used to be able to put two on my shoulder, not anymore. Put one on my shoulder and I can carry that. My wife, no. I think she could, but she just didn't want to. 
I don't think that she really feels stable enough. I don't think that she feels like that's in her wheelhouse. And, and it's, so I think that Scripture is talking about, and if, if you're a theologian, you can go back and dig into it, because I have. It's talking about physical strength there. It's nowhere near talking about emotional strength. It's nowhere near talking about psychological strength or spiritual strength. I know some women that are incredible prayer warriors. I think I know more women that are incredible prayer warriors than I know men that I would say they're incredible prayer warriors. Has nothing to do with spiritual, only physical. So when it talks about the weaker partner, uh, guys, put the screw in the wall like she wants it because her hands are a little bit stronger, uh, typically, is what that means. Only refers to strength. Then it goes on to talk about heirs. Heirs with you. What are heirs? Heirs, and, and if you go back and you look at this, it's talking about somebody that actually uses the words shut up, not mouth, shut up, but closed in, locked in. They're heirs with you. So what does that say? It doesn't say that your spouse is a lesser part. It means that they're flat across equal. They're heirs with you. What you get is what they get. That's a balanced relationship. And guess what? There's going to be strengths that I have that my wife is not going to have. That doesn't mean I'm better than her. There's going to be strengths that she has that are going to be weaknesses that I have. There's not many of those. I wouldn't. That's not true. We need to balance each other out. Right? So to be an heir with the other person means that there's some equality, there's some give and take, and we have to recognize those things. The person that doesn't recognize those things goes back to the reason that draws people into hardships and relationships, and that's because there's selfishness there. I don't want to look at my weaknesses, and I don't want to see your strengths. I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to be blind. So scripture does talk about them being an heir hemmed in together, hemmed in. So if you sow something and, and you, you actually weave something together, it's difficult to take that apart. And so that's what we need to see our relationships uh, being like. It's closed in together, hemmed in together. It goes on to talking about nothing will hinder your prayers. That's the part that was the bell ringer to me, guys. Nothing will hinder your prayers. When I read this scripture, and I, it wasn't new to me, but one day I stopped on that. What do you mean hinder my prayers? Who in here believes that God always hears our prayers? I, I think that God always hears our prayers. Do I think that God always does something about our prayers? I think God doing nothing is Him doing something, right? Because He's... He's a, he's a perfect God. But how about hindering my prayers? What do you mean hinder my prayers? And what this, is actually, what this is actually saying is if we're tied together in a relationship, mostly in marriage, if we're tied together in a relationship and me as the spiritual leader of the household, if I'm allowing an imbalance in that relationship, I think we can picture the ceiling getting a little bit lower. And my prayers, basically, the picture that this scripture draws, my prayers are going to bounce off of the ceiling. 
Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't hear them because I think God is omnipresent and I think He hears everything. But I don't think that God necessarily makes adjustment to those prayers with an imbalance in our relationships. And I'm going to go ahead and carry that out because I think Scripture is a totality kind of a thing. It all hooks together. And I'm into parenting. I'm into good parenting. And there have been times that I felt like I had an imbalance with my kids. And guess where I need to go when that happens? I need to go to God. I need to go to Scripture. And I need to look at me, right? My kids are going to show me my weaknesses. My kids are going to show me who I am. And I need to make adjustments to that. Because I don't want my prayers to be hindered between me and God. If I'm going to be that spiritual leader, then I need to be that person that's going to make sure that the, that the deck is clear and that I've got a good balance in my relationships. And if I do that as that head of the household, that spiritual leader, then my wife is now going to be able to be submissive to me where she can fill me up. Guys, here's what I'm saying. you got to be worthy to be filled. you got to be worthy to be filled. If you say, well, I'm not getting filled, well, then you clean yourself up. So that your wife can fill you up. And wife, if you're saying, I can't fill him up. And I've had wives saying, he'll get the big head. And then, no, your job is to do that and let God take care of the rest. And you make adjustments around that. Because what we need is we need good connection with God. And I said early on, if you didn't catch this, if our relationships with one another are going to be good, healthy, strong relationships, we have to back up first and we have to check our relationship with God. If you want a good relationship with people around you, you work on your relationship with God and you get that nailed down. Once you get that nailed down, you're going to find out a couple of things. One is where those good, healthy relationships are. And the second thing, where those bad, negative, deteriorating relationships are. And sometimes we have to break those relationships. Being a Christian doesn't mean that I'm just real friendly to everybody. Right? Go get that book on boundaries. And it'll show you where to put that boundary. If, if somebody is overtaxing me to the point that I can't be the godly person that I need to be, then there's chances that I need to cut that relationship. And sometimes that's with family members. We have to do the tough thing. So being a Christian isn't for the weak. Being a Christian is for the strong, the people that want to pursue God in, in their lives. I think we have to take a look at ourselves. I think we have to take a look at ourselves in the light of the relationships that we have. You know, there, there are people, there are people that will come in and they'll say, well, I've been married five times, six times, seven times. And I immediately start thinking, there's a common denominator here, right? Rarely is there a good reason for that to have happened. I'll just say that. But we have to look at ourselves in the light of the relationships that are around us. And if things seem to constantly be crumbling relationship-wise with your spouse, your grandparents, your parents, your kids, your co-workers, your boss, your employees, people at this church, it's probably not them. We have to look at ourselves in light of the relationships that we have. And I think our connection with God keeps us balanced. 
I have to go to the person who wrote the book on relationships, and that's God. God is a very relational being. So why are relationships messy? It's because we're in them, right? And we're a constant work. And that's what I've learned from my elderly friends that, that, that are in the mid-80s. They're constantly working. And one thing, and I'm talking, I see these people once a week, right? I love it when they find something new about each other. They've been married for 60 some odd years, 62 years, something like that. And they're constantly finding out something that's new about the other person. And here's another aspect that I love about them. They also know so much about the other person. Here's another thing that I've seen with them. They're, they're pretty humorous about it. They laugh about each other's inconsistencies. They laugh about each other's power struggles. They've turned that into a little bit of humor. And humor can help. Humor can work. So one thing that I've seen about them is they've modeled to me so clear what that relationship that God wants us to have with Him should be. Get that relationship right and our relationships around us will work. As a church, this is a church body is the way we would see this. You're all individual parts and Scripture talks about that. But as one, we're a church body. And so what's the church's relationship with the community around you? And the church needs to look at themselves, right? You have to look at yourself in order to make sure that the relationship you have with the community around you uh, is, is healthy and working out. And I was looking at some pictures that y'all had earlier about new people that are coming on board. And, and, and that, there was a cool aspect to that. Y'all are growing. You're bringing people in. There's a reason for that. And it's got to have something to do with the spirit of this church. So, so good job on that. But don't let your guard down. And don't think that a scripture like this is just talking about what happens in your home. That's where it starts. But it happens here in the church. So what's your relationship like with this community? If it's good, it's because you've made it that way. If it's bad, you have to look at yourself. So today we're going to do that. I'm going to be standing down here in the front. And if you feel like there's somebody here that you need to go talk to, maybe go across the aisle and do that. If you need to come down here and pray about a relationship aspect, pray about somebody in the community and your family and the church, you come do that. If there's something you need to come talk with me about, then that's fine. We'll do that too. And we're going to go through a short invitation time and then we're going to be out of here. But one thing I want you to carry with you is I want you to carry with you the conviction that we all ought to have about keeping those relationships strong around us and knowing our place and knowing our part in those relationships. Join me in prayer.